2: I do think the game, as you can see, you watch those guys, Brock and him at the end, like when the money's on the table, you got to be able to make some plays um, with your feet, move around enough to escape a bad play. And it doesn't mean you got to run like Lamar or Kyler Murray, but you better be able to move a little bit and um, buy yourself some time because the the D line, the rushes, the defense these days are so good. And and then the intangibles you know, you want that player to be the hardest worker on your team, you want him to lead those guys. each and every day when when he shows up in the building, you want him to lift the building up, and um, that's why those guys make the type of money they do.
3: That was Cliff Kingsbury yesterday during his uh, introductory presser. He was asked on the ideal characteristics for a quarterback, and he said uh, the Chiefs quarterback, as in Pat Mahomes. Uh, he did not say a lot. His press conference was much shorter in length than Joe Witt Jr.'s. Uh, we'll play some of both of their press conferences throughout This show, but phone lines are open 301-230-0980. If you want to weigh in on the conversation that I had with Dan Quinn, I do think that they believe that there is an opportunity to turn this around pretty quickly. I'm not saying be a contender, but you know, 4 and 13 is not what they're thinking about in year one. I think they're thinking about potentially competing for a five-you know, a better than 500 record. Uh, in year one because of the holes they can fill and I think quite honestly they look at the roster and there's probably more there for them than maybe we think after watching this team you know limp to a 4-13 finish. Uh, Denton anything stand out to you from the conversation with Dan Quinn last hour?
4: So I really liked that he didn't this maybe wasn't the best for you in the show, but I do kind of like how he didn't give much on the quarterback. I think they're aware that it's an issue, but it is nice where the coach knows how to hold his tongue a little bit. And I also agree with what you just mentioned. I definitely think there are holes that we think the team has that maybe the team does not currently believe that they have. And a lot of that is on the offensive line. I'd be willing to bet that while the offensive line is surely not viewed as great, by uh, the new regime, I bet they look at the offensive line with a much healthier light than a lot of our fan base does.
3: I bet you that's a – I I 100% agree with that. I I would bet that they look at Sam Cosme and believe that he's one of the top four or five players on the team. That they look at, you know, the the way um, that, like, Wiley competes. Gates competes. Forget about whether or not they're good enough – They've told us the kind of people and the kind of players they want. They want finishers. They want tough, physical competitors. Um, but that may not be the only area of the team uh, that they look at and say, yeah, it's not as bad as maybe the record reflected. All right, 301-230-0980 in a wreck. Ace Law helps you get a check. Call 8888-ACE-LAW. Let's start with Gary. Gary, go ahead.
5: Uh good morning Kevin. Um <clears throat> what you guys are talking about is a little bit alarming to me. Um if they think <laughs> that they we have more on this roster than the fans who have been watching this team for the past year as far as good players then that concerns me. That 4 and 13 was a legitimate 4 and 13, okay? This no roster doubt. has been looked down upon by the national media for the last couple of years, and going into each year, people have called and said the national media doesn't know what they're talking about. But the results on the field have proven true. They have one of the worst rosters in football. And for them to come in and say, oh, no, it's not as bad as people think. As Bill Parcells said, your record is what it is. And they did not play well, okay? If we had an expansion draft coming up this year, an expansion draft, where we had to protect players or didn't protect any players, <laughs> there may be one or two players. It'd be tough to come roster. up with the list. It, that, it, that's exactly right. Maybe Terry yeah. goes, okay, and maybe um, Jonathan Allen goes. But after that, no one's going to touch Deron Payne. Deron Payne had a career year during his contract year, and now he's morphed back to what he was
3: before I think his, wrong his uh,
5: contract year.
3: I think you're wrong about Deron. I
5: don't think Deron. that there's – Deron, he had a – I called your show. I called your show, and you can look it up. I called your show going into that year after he got before he got that money, and I Last said year. defensive tackle is known for having career years, and then morphing back to what they were beforehand. He never gets that big contract if he didn't have eleven and a half sacks. Okay, he doesn't get that big contract now. He's back to where he was a couple years ago with those with those sack totals. So I think it's alarming. I like the Dan Quinn hire. I think he's a good coach. I like the staff that he's putting together. But if they're looking at this roster saying, oh, it's not as bad as we thought, no, they're wrong. This is a bad roster at every position. I think the running backs are overrated. Okay. The secondary, you can get rid of all of those guys. Cam Curl took a step back last year. The linebackers are non existent. And Jonathan Allen is a good player. Deron Pine is an above average player, but he's not elite. So I think they have holes. Everywhere, and if they're looking at this, oh, okay. we just need to patch this and patch that. I think we got a big problem. Yeah, uh,
3: d- d- let, let you know. Don't let the the uh, the conversation you know carry you into uh, you know we're talking about that they are viewing this roster as a really good roster. It's not what I said, and it's not what I suggested. What I suggested is they may view it differently than us, and there may be more pieces on this roster that they think they can work with because they think they'll be better coached or fit into their scheme better, et cetera. But thanks for the call, Gary. Always great. Uh, By the way, the first thing you said with respect to national media, actually national media for the last couple of seasons have kind of liked Washington um, and liked the roster. It's been the odds makers that have really told you, what we should have been thinking about them, which you know they've had very low over-under win totals, and they've turned out to be the ones per usual that were right. Um, but, but a lot of people in the national media coming into this year actually liked Washington to be a potential surprise uh, team. Um, I, I think that they'll look at people like Terry McLaurin and Jahan Dotson, and even a guy like Deami Brown, and maybe some of the guys that we didn't even see much of, a guy like Mitch Tinsley, who you know was impressive in preseason. I think they'll look along the offensive line and definitely fall in love with Cosme. Um, who knows what they'll think of Stromberg? We don't even know what to think of Stromberg or, or Braden Daniels. You know the the draft choices from from last year. I think tight end, they're going to look at Ar- Armani Rogers and see a weapon. Um, Coming off injury, I don't know what they'll think about anybody else, Uh, although John Bates is a competitor uh, for sure. I think they'll like Brian Robinson Jr. I think Brian Robinson Jr. is a Dan Quinn and Adam Peters type of player. By the way, I'd put Chris Rodriguez, based on the limited time we saw him, into that category. Uh, Defensively, I do think Duran and John are keepers for them, unless they can really capitalize on John's current contract, where it is, um, and perhaps get somebody to overpay. Uh, I don't know what they're going to think about everybody else, honestly. I thought K.J. Henry and Andre Jones Jr. and their limited play at the end of the year showed something. Um, they were fifth and seventh round picks, I think, or fifth and sixth round picks last year. Um, Jamin Davis is a wild card for me. <clears throat> It'd be great to see them just turn him loose as a pass rusher. I bet you they fall in love with a player like Kalik Hudson, especially on special teams. Cam Curl, Derek Forrest, uh, Quan Martin for sure. Uh, he mentioned Jeremy Reeves, you know, player that they lost. Um, I just think that we saw the absolute dregs of the NFL over the final seven, eight weeks of the season. And we may be overlooking the fact that some of that was on the coaching staff. And they may view it that way as well. Um 230 Let's go to Kevin. Kevin, what's up?
1: Hey, Kevin, thank you for taking my call. Yeah, I'm like Gary. I'm far more bearish. But I I want to point out a couple things that are positive. And you were talking earlier about, you know, the whole narrative of Quinn being a retread just like Rivera. Well, as I just texted you, no, that's wrong. Uh, Quinn isn't emulating Ron's comanther cronyism. Uh, There are excellent people now in place at GM, assistant GM. Our coaching staff in total is extremely, professional from what I can tell. All of that is very positive. And the reason I bring this up in this discussion is – Well, people are excited about the Jack Del
3: Rio be- hire, Kev. Let's not forget that. We've kind of forgotten that in talking about, you know, the Carolina train. We were we were pumped up about okay. – a lot of people were pumped up. He's like, that's a that's a good hire, Del-, Del-, Del Rio.
1: That's it, Kevin. I wasn't, I wasn't pumped up about another assistant coach. Yes, I was about Del Rio. I was wrong. Del, Del Rio lost his fastball. But just, let me continue, and then I'll, I'll be quick. Uh yeah, our record is what it, what it is. Uh, the talent we have that's been assembled, I'd say, yeah, there's a lot of young NFL legit talent. The problem is almost all of them are backups, guys that make rosters, but that don't make plays. I mean, I look at this roster, seriously. You've got Terry, John, and Duran. You've got Cam. You've got Sam Cosby. You've got B-Roth. All those are studs. Gianni Brown, never been a stud. Dodson, big step back. I can go on and on through the roster. So here's the thing, though. Here's the silver lining. They wanted to be a draft and develop team, Ron and the Martys. Well, we're questioning the drafting because the development didn't happen. Was that because the players aren't talented enough or the coaches aren't good right. enough? I'm hoping that is a thing silver lasts.
3: lining. That's a, And that's what I'm talking about more as much as anything else.
1: Yeah. Because to me, Kevin, the last thing – as longtime Redskins commander fans, we haven't really had a draft and develop system since the early Beathard years. It's just a fact. There were a couple decent drafts with but never where we had a tremendous draft and development plan flourish. It's been over 40 years. That's what's got to change in Washington. Hopefully Peters and Quinn and their people are the right ones because we've not been developing talent.
3: Yeah, I mean, we've had coaching staffs that were capable of developing talent. The problem is, yeah. is those coaching staffs that were capable of talent of developing talent weren't the final voices on the talent that was being brought in. The owner and one of his cronies were. So that the, the, the disconnect between, as you're describing, we haven't had this kind of a structure, we haven't, you know, Uh, we haven't had this kind of a structure since Casserly. We can talk about Casserly's results at another time, but we haven't had this structure since Casserly. It it, it was always, and even Jay Gruden mentioned it while he was coaching about the disconnect between that side of the building and his side of the building. So, um, anyway, uh, thanks for the call, as always, Kev. Good job. Let's go to Rick. Rick, go ahead. Kevin. Hey, Rick. Well...
6: I look at the whole situation is is that, yes, they are retread coaches coming into the building, and certainly if you know football, you know what their records have been. But the whole thing comes down to what does, who does the general manager think who can be the quarterback of this team? Everybody calls in saying that they want, You know, they want to drop back and they want to get more more draft picks and all this or whatever because Washington has been afraid to go out there and try to strike to get a quarterback. If you fail this year, you fail. You should try again next year, but you need a quarterback. The only thing I say, though, is this. Stop thinking about Taylor Williams about oh you know you know because he side-arms a couple of passes and this and this and that about <laughs> like Mahomes or whatever or, or 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 Daniels he can run maybe like Lamar and all like this or whatever like the you need a quarterback like he like like he said you need a quarterback who's gonna be in that building who's gonna give it his all and I hope that they. When you get past one, two, three, and that means Kalem, Braden, uh, 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 uh Daniels, and, and May, the only the, a quarterback to me who fits maybe that mold, who's going to be in that building, who's going to stay, is Bo
5: Nix.
3: Yeah, I mean, Nix, Penix, and McCarthy are next in line, and all of them seem to have terrific sort of intangibles. Good call as always, Rick. Let's finish it up with my guy, G, from the shop. G.
7: Oh, yeah, man. Them them, them coaches, man, ain't coming here, coming into this house, man, if they think they got to tear the whole house down, man. You're talking about two defensive coaches that have seen us numerous times in our division, you know what I'm saying? So they, know, they, see, they wouldn't come in here if it all had to be turned down. They see some equity here, and they see some dudes that they can make work also, what on top of the draft picks sprinkled in there, would you being able to draft a top quarterback up there, like that's why you got Kingsbury. And I love what Kingsbury said. you got to have a quarterback that can make plays with their feet. That's right. why I think Jaden Daniels is going to be the one. You know what I'm saying? And, and I want somebody to ask Cliff Kingsbury what he thinks about Brian Kelly's offense, man, because I, I would be skeptical about Jaden Daniels if he was running some old high school, old school college quarterback type of offense, man, Brian right. Kelly run pro sets, man. Yep. So that's what I want to hear, and I think these coaches see a team with all that equity we got that they can fix.
3: Yeah, I, I again, I, I per you know Gary and Kevin's takes, it's not you know it's not that they're way off, and it's not that we're way off. I think it's in the middle somewhere where. We watched a team that was so bad this year. I mean, the worst team I think we have ever watched in our lifetime in this town. That's how bad they were. They weren't just losing games, they were getting annihilated in games. Mm and i think a lot of it went into it i think there was this idea certainly in the building that this was a lame duck year for the head coach there were clearly some issues between the offensive coordinator and other offensive coaches and players throughout the season um and you had uh and and, and you had basically it fall apart early in games and they were out of games but it was just a year ago that the same people who's who are saying now Burn it down, we're saying we got a pretty good roster. And so I think the truth is somewhere in the middle, probably closer to burn it down than we've got a good roster. Um, But it's not burn it all down. It's definitely not burn it all down.
7: I think they like the kitchen. I think they like the location, the yard size. (laughs) But a lot of that disappointment last year was contingent on our whole situation we've been dealing with for years. And I think these coaches understand what we have had to deal with. And I think they went to the front of the line and they think they can do, be the ones to straighten that house up.
3: I oh, don't know. I think they're up in the attic moving boxes around looking really hard. And maybe, and maybe. oh, there he is. There's Duran. There's John. There's Terry. I, look, I mean, there are players that some of our fans have completely given up on, like Jahan Dotson, like Emmanuel oh, yeah. Forbes yeah. after one yeah. season. I'm glad. I mean, it's and way too early.
7: I, I heard you say that the other day when somebody called up Dog and Jahan saying he was a bust. He ain't go- I think Jahan Dotson, Terry McLaurin been imperfect for the Cliff Kingsbury
3: game Yeah. Perfect. I mean, I think he he'd love a big receiver in there and then you're going to need somebody if you don't re-sign Curtis Samuel to kind of take that role. Um but you've also got a back that runs a little bit like James Conner did in in Arizona in in Brian Robinson yeah. Jr. You know, you'll you'll look for that change of pace guy. I by the way, I think they're going to love Rodriguez. I think Rodriguez no, totally it, fits that mold of finisher, which they used no, as a description it, multiple times. Um, yeah, and thanks, we G. Had
7: Gibson, and, we had, and we had Gibson, but at the same time, you said Brian Robinson. Brian Robinson showed me he can make plays out of that backfield Yeah, he pass. did.
3: But they're going to look That's for somebody that, like Gibson with the true ability to take it the distance in space, you know. Um, and those are the – players that typically in college football now exist in, you know, in, 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 in bunches. So, you know, that's, that's a third, that's a third round pick. That's a fourth round pick in the draft. I don't think that's a free agency ad necessarily. Um, but by the way, don't discount Armani Rogers as a potential guy that could fill, that kind of a role, a Curtis Samuel kind of a role. I mean, I think we saw some really interesting ability with Rodgers as a runner and as a pass catcher, and I think there were big plans for him this year. Thanks, G. Appreciate it. Uh, When we come back, some of the best from Kingsbury and Joe Witt Jr. yesterday. Uh, It's the Kevin Sheehan Show on the Team 980 and
0: theteam980.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.
8: On TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.
3: So yesterday, the team, uh, as in the commanders, introduced both of its coordinators uh, via an introductory press conference with The Beat um, out in Ashburn. And it was Cliff Kingsbury first, followed by Joe Witt Jr., the defensive coordinator, second. They couldn't have been different in their approaches to this introductory press conference. I made a note in watching Kingsbury and then watching Witt and saying, We're just getting it in reverse now. Before it was Jack Del Rio basically gave you nothing as the defensive coordinator. That's essentially what we're going to get from Kingsbury. Although he said some things that I'm going to play back for you here uh, because I had a reaction to even some of the limited things that he said. Um, and then Joe Witt Jr. is, you know, a, a, he's got incredible personality, and he talks, and you know, how much you get out of it, I don't know, although I think he said a couple of things that were very profound, and we'll play some of that next hour. But that's more like, you know, Ron Rivera and or Eric Bienemy. Um, the length, you know, we get sent the transcripts by the team of the press conference. Jack Del Rios would be like a page and then Rivera's and Orbienemies would be like three pages and we got that yesterday we got barely a page from Kingsbury and then multiple pages from Joe Witt Jr who was more entertaining that's for sure than Kingsbury was but i want to focus on Kingsbury um you know here's a guy who's been a head coach before my first reaction in watching him was He's just not going to do this a lot. He is. He's going to do the absolute minimum. Whatever is mandatory, he'll do. Other than that, I would love to have a guy like Cliff Kingsbury on the show weekly talking about the game that they just played in the upcoming game. That's just not going to happen. It rarely happens with coordinators anyway. Um, but it's it's not going to happen. This guy's been there, done that in terms of dealing with the media, and he appears to be thrilled that this go round won't include that on a daily basis. He's also been around long enough as a head coach in college, as a head coach in the pros, and as a part of the uh, so many different organizations in different roles that he knows that you know what not to say. You know, he was asked about. You know, what happened in Vegas. And he said, I'm not going to get into that. I've just got tremendous respect for, you know, Mark Davis, the owner, and AP Antonio Pierce. Um, On Magic Johnson's reported involvement, uh, it was reported out of Vegas that the reason he left Vegas and came to Washington is Magic Johnson had a lot to do with convincing him to come to Washington. He wouldn't answer that. But then, even though some of the answers were limited the rest of the way, I do think you got some some substance from uh, Cliff Kingsbury. So I'm going to play some of these for you. He was asked about what not being a head coach uh, this past season, where he was an advisor at USC for Lincoln Riley with Caleb Williams, a quarterback. You know, being able to take a step back from that and whether or not that allows him, you know, what that allowed him To to be to to do to learn and then is he set up better this go around in the NFL even as an offensive coordinator? Here's what he said.
2: Yeah, I hope so. Um, Coach Riley is a phenomenal coach to be able to be around him, watch him from uh, that view, his processes, how he works with the team um, was awesome, a great learning experience, and then. Just to be around the younger players again really re-energized me, re-motivated me. I kind of got to be the good cop the entire year in that space and um, felt like it gave me a chance to kind of reevaluate some of my my processes and how I operate and uh, felt like it made made me a better coach.
3: You know, I was looking through, um, you know, Cliff Kingsbury's coaching career. He's never worked for a defensive first guy. It's just never been the lead head coach when he's been a coordinator, and the other opportunities he's had, he's been the head coach. It, at you know at Texas Tech and then at Arizona in the pros, but you know working primarily for people like Mike Leach and Kevin Sumlin, et cetera, And you know Lincoln Riley last year, he's never been in the position other than as a head coach where he's been the sole voice on that side of the ball. I don't know if it matters or not, and but I would imagine that Kingsbury is being given a lot of autonomy to run the offense the way he sees fit, with Quinn focused mostly on the defensive side of the ball with Joe Witt uh, Jr. Um the next one that I wanted to play from him, he was asked about the differences between being a head coach and an offensive coordinator. And if he's actually looking forward uh, to being a coordinator and not the head coach, here's what he said.
2: Being able to just focus on the offense um, will be great. You know, Dan has, has a bunch on his plate. I've, I've sat in that seat. And so you're dealing with the entire picture. Uh, with me now, it's focused on that group and, and trying to maximize who we are, personnel-wise. Coaching staff wise, and being the best we can, um, just in that area. So, to be able to back up and, and do that again is exciting. To put all that focus just into that, um,
3: and ready to get to work. Um, I can only imagine when you've faced the pressure of being a head coach in the last go round. It didn't go well. Um, how? And by the way, had all the responsibilities of being the you know the communicator, the press conference guy in every meeting room, responsibility for the whole team to just be able to do what apparently Ben Johnson really prefers to do, which is close the door on Monday and come out with a great uh, game plan on Wednesday and focus on one side of the ball. And it sounds like he's excited uh, to do that. He was asked then about quarterback um, and his system in, in particular, you know, in the air raid system. But he was asked about kind of the, you know the opportunity that they're going to have here with probably a young quarterback in the roadmap to developing a young quarterback. Here's what he said: First off, you got to have talented
2: players to work with. There's no doubt. I've been very fortunate to be around some really good players, good people. But I just try to figure out what makes them tick. Um, everybody's different. Everybody learns differently. Everybody processes differently. Likes different plays. Um, sees the game differently. So I really try to get to the uh, bottom of who they are as a person, who they are as a player, and and
3: build it around them. I I think, you know, it deserves emphasis here, not that you guys don't know the list here. Just to talk about the Kingsbury quarterbacks that he's worked with and that he's developed. Keenum in college at Houston, Manziel at A&M, Mayfield, uh, Mahomes at Texas Tech, Caleb Williams last year. He's been around talent. He knows what the talent part looks like, and he also knows what they're he's looking for. And he, he got into that a little bit later on, and I'll, I'll get to that. But, you know, when you are coaching the quarterbacks and offenses, but quarterbacks that are talented in particular, they're not all the same. And he's had to figure out how to get the most out of them. That's the talent of a coach is to – you know, not make excuses for not getting the best out of them, but to be able to adapt and figure out what, as he said, makes this particular person tick. Because he's worth trying to figure it out. Because he's so talented. Um, so all of the discussion about the offenses that he's been involved in, primarily in college, you know, the Mike Leach, you know, Hal mummy, going back to all of the spread, all of the the air raid, et, et, et cetera. Um, he was asked about, you know, how, you know, that label of air raid offense has evolved over time. Um, and, and what it means now that he's back into the NFL.
2: Yeah. At Texas Tech, um, University of Houston, you know, we had Case Kino and Patrick Mahomes. So we were throwing it a ton and it was spread offense, just like a lot of those are. You get in the NFL, you, you learn the nature of that game and, and the different personnel groups and, um, the matchups and, and things like that. And I'm not sure where we, were on on pass percentage my last three years there but I I know it wasn't at the top Um, so we want to be balanced we want to be able to run the football and and, uh, play action pass and um, really do whatever it takes to win but the air raid deal is is, you know I'm honored to be a part of that because it was Mike Leach and I have a tremendous amount of respect for him but uh, I wouldn't categorize anything we do under that name.
3: Yeah, and I've pointed this out, that that really good season in Arizona when they went 11-6 and and went to the postseason, laid an egg in the postseason game. But they were were 53-47, 54-46 in terms of pass-run ratio. They weren't anywhere near the top of the league. James Conner and Chase Edmonds, their two running backs that year, combined for 328 carries, for 1,344 yards and 17 touchdowns. Zach Ertz, you know, they they say in the air raid, no reason to have any tight ends. Zach Ertz that that particular season, um, not that particular season, uh, yeah, that particular season, excuse me, had 56 catches for 574 yards, was targeted 81 times. They also had Max Williams in that offensive tight end that was targeted a bunch as well. Um, So that was him kind of answering that, you know, are we going to see the air raid essentially in the NFL? Um, He was asked about kind of what he learned from being an NFL head coach that he can apply now. Here's what he said.
2: Every year you learn something different, Um, just consistency and approach. I think that's that's the main thing in this league. It's You're going to have your ups and downs. It's a lot of parity. It's tough games week in, week out, and you got to be consistent in your standards and your approach.
3: That's the biggest difference between college football and pro football. And for coaches that I am sure think, before they get to the NFL, that a lot of what they've learned in college applies. In the NFL, the difference in talent is a fine tooth comb. It is... Built, it is designed for parity, for teams to be close, for the you know the the very margins, the, you know the on the edges to be the difference. Whether that's you know a quarterback that can be mobile or make plays in clutch situations, or a coaching staff that's really good, and it's or a personnel you know area that's the game is designed for everybody to go nine and eight or eight and nine. In college, there is a massive talent difference in a lot of the games that they play. They're not worried about losing three or four games a year when you're at a major place. And when he says it's a lot of parody, it's tough games week in, week out, you know, that's what you learn when you come to the NFL. You can be just as good a coach as you were in college, but the competition is so close. In these games, and anything can happen in these games. By the way, not to mention, it's a different game. It's a game that's typically, you know, built for uh, the underdog to have a better chance because the games are faster, the clock stops less often. There are different things about the game overall, the way it's played, that gives lesser teams, and the lesser is not what it is in college, a chance. I think you hear that from almost all of the college coaches that have had experience in the NFL. It's like what's jarring to them is, I mean, every week. Every week, if you're not at your best, you're going to lose to somebody you don't think you should lose to. It happens all the time. Um, All right. uh, This was him on sort of the ideal characteristics he looks for in a quarterback.
2: Uh, The Chiefs quarterback? That'd help. No. Um, I do think the game, as you can see, you watch those guys, Brock and him at the end, like when the money's on the table, you got to be able to make some plays um, with your feet, move around enough to escape a bad play. And it doesn't mean you got to run like Lamar or Kyler Murray, but you better be able to move a little bit and um, buy yourself some time because the, the D line, the rushes, the defense these days are so good. And, and then the intangibles, you know, you want that player to be the hardest worker on your team, you want him to lead those guys. Um, each and every day when when he shows up in the building, you want him to lift the building up. And um, that's why those guys make the type of money they do.
3: And that's also why there are so few of them, you know, that fit every single kind of characteristic that you're looking for, you know. the the money's on the table at the end of the game, they got to deliver. Got to deliver by making plays with your feet. You got to be able to escape a bad play. Doesn't mean like you have to be a a full-fledged runner like Lamar or Kyler have been in their careers. And then there are the intangibles. You know, you've got to be the hardest worker on your team. You know, you've got to be a leader. I mean, you've got to lift a building up, you know, um, all due respect to the players Washington's had at that position here for several years, none of them have been lift-up-the-building players. Probably the closest since Kirk was Taylor Heineke in terms of just natural kind of leadership and that attractive quality that people you know like in others. Um, and then there were two questions specific to his time with Caleb Williams. He was asked about... What he got, by the way, I would also say the description of what he gave you doesn't lead to any of the three quarterbacks more than the others Caleb Williams, Drake May, Jaden Daniels. They all have made plays with the game on the table by using their legs to escape a bad play. Um, And then the intangible stuff is the part that I can't even answer as it relates to all three of those guys but he can answer it as it relates to caleb williams this was him on what he got out of his experience in la working with caleb williams as the trojans quarterback yeah he's a great kid there's no doubt And, and like i mentioned earlier just getting
2: to watch lincoln um from afar and, and observe him and, and how he coaches and how he schemes things up. And his processes was huge. And, and then just being around the younger players and, and really diving back into the everyday teaching. Sometimes when you're a head coach, you, you step back from the one-on-ones um, a little bit. And, and this allowed me to get back into that vein.
3: You know, I heard a, a lot of you saying that when he was asked about Caleb, he didn't go way into depth you know, he kind of shifted the conversation. I wouldn't read anything into that answer about Caleb Williams. He started with, yeah, he's a, he's a great kid. There's no doubt. Um, he, they came back to it. Uh, he asked on how Caleb Williams' game can translate to the NFL. Here's what he said.
2: Yeah, I mean, I don't want to break him down uh, right now. I'm still trying to, you know, evaluate our own roster and go through that. But like I mentioned, uh love being around him, tremendous person, and, uh, yeah, I had fun at USC. Yeah,
3: I mean, he's doing the right thing when it comes to the specific questions about Caleb Williams, anybody at this point. You just can't disclose what you're thinking. Washington at number two is in a very unique competitive situation, uh, and, uh, you know, showing your hand makes no sense at all. Um, two more things from Cliff Kingsbury's press conference, who I said – wasn't the longest speaker by a long shot, um, and he held a lot back. But I still – I actually – I enjoyed them both. I actually think we're three for three on winning the press conferences for what it's worth, and it's not worth anything. Uh, A game hasn't been played. But I saw a guy in – Cliff Kingsbury, who's been there, done that so many times, and he is ready to roll, and he's ready to focus in on creating a really good offense. And by the way, he wants to be here because he had other options. He was asked about on the uh, offensively, what are the key attributes to be successful? Here's what he said.
2: Yeah, first and foremost, being able to adapt to your personnel, um, do what you do best, and don't ask them to do things they can't do. And uh, we have a staff that is all in agreement on that and takes pride in that. So we're, we're going to build this thing together and be collaborative as we put it together and just make sure we're putting our guys in the best situation possible. Um, you got to be able to, you know, run the football in four minutes and you got to be able to throw it in two minutes. You saw that game come down to it a couple of times the other night. Um, that's how these games come down to. And, and so um, more than anything, just making sure we're putting in those, position, those players in a position
3: to be successful. And then he said, and Denton, I want you to play 19 next. I know I told you I didn't want you to play 19, but I want you to play 19 because I thought what the answer I was looking for was an 18. Um, the qualities that has allowed him to kind of help offenses succeed, here's what he said. Um, probably number one, I
2: I don't know what I don't know. You know. I'm not afraid to ask questions and learn from these other guys, and if there's a better way to do it, we're going to do it that way. Um, I'm big on evolving each and every year doing breakdowns of the top college offenses, pro offense. What are they doing? How can we make that fit? Um, And I think that's what it's about. You know, the defense is always uh, trying to catch up and it's a cyclical game. And if if you kind of staying stagnant and not progressing and not evolving in your drill work and your scheme and your uh, coaching practice, then they're going to catch up to you.
3: Yeah. I think that that it was an answer that was um, a a good answer to hear him say because – for those of us and I put myself into this group that really leaned uh, on I want the next offensive guy you know the young offensive guy for a number of reasons it's the you know it's the, been the trend in the league. Um, offense is now more important than defense, although we did see defense make a nice comeback in 2023. Um, the idea that the number two overall pick, if they, if there's a really good connection and it really works, you're not going to lose that guy, et cetera, et cetera. I think you heard th- what you wanted in the head coach from an offensive standpoint in that answer um but with respect to Kingsbury you're not going to have him focused on anything else other than this i actually came away from cliff kingsbury's press conference thinking they got a, a guy with a lot of potential here this is this is as good an offensive mind creative mind evolving mind as he talked about a guy that's done it with quarterbacks specifically I'm excited about it. I'm not I don't want them to overpromise anything here in the offseason. I don't want to get carried away with it, but in listening to him yesterday, I felt like we had a real offensive innovative pro that's going to be running this offense in the same way that you were looking for the head coach to be young and innovative and, you know, evolving and understanding that defenses change and that it's cyclical and if you're not, you know, if you're staying stagnant and you're not evolving in scheme and et cetera, that you're 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 getting behind, I think we got that in Cliff Kingsbury. Uh lastly, you know, Mahomes having just won the Super Bowl and being, you know, labeled as certainly deserving of GOAT status. He's the one that recruited him and coached him at Texas Tech. He was asked on what he saw from Patrick Mahomes coming out of high school that other coaches just missed.
2: Yeah, I just, every time I would watch him, he was the best player on the field by far. And he he put the team on his back and he did whatever it took to win. Uh, you see the competitive nature, just like the other night, I don't think anybody here thought he was going to lose when he got that ball back. And it was the same deal in high school. It was like, he knew he was going to find a way to win and it didn't look traditional and he'd shuffle back and kind of just move around and make plays. But he was the best player. And, um, you know, I, I kind of stayed out of his way a little bit in college. I didn't want to take that away from him ever because that's what he did great. We tried to polish some things, but to watch what he's become and just the person he is. I tell everybody that's his greatest superpower is the person, even with all the freaky talent. He's such a great person. Uh, The way he treats people, the way he handles his teammates, it's just phenomenal.
3: There you go. Uh, That was the best of Cliff Kingsbury yesterday from my standpoint. We'll give you some Joe Witt Jr. next hour. Denton's News up next, and then Ben Standig will jump on. And we do now have a completed – coaching staff uh and in addition to the front office as well it's the kevin Sheehan show on the team 980 and the team 980.com there are any number of reasons you might consider selling your home that's where an agent who is a realtor comes in to navigate the process to sell your home in a way that's right for you because that's who we are realtors are members of the national association of Realtors.
8: Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for walk well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com.
5: Hitting the news you might have
3: missed. It's Denton's Daily News. All right. You going to start with the snowstorm tonight?
4: Uh, we can. I mean, you like snow a lot more <laughs> than I like snow. I don't need any snow. I'm very much in favor of doubling it and giving it all to Baltimore, but we will be getting snow in the area over overnight. Anywhere from, I, think, I guess it depends where you live in, in the DMV, but I think it's anywhere from one to four inches.
3: Yeah, this one's going to be power-packed, but for a very brief period of time. Like, it'll be 11 to 5 a.m., 6 a.m., and it'll be over. Um, but I think pretty much for those of us that live in the city, and then just moving north and west, and even south and in east of the city, two to four. But there are going to be places you'll you'll read about tom- tomorrow morning or hear about in the news that got that got five or six inches from this, and that's hard to predict where you'll get them because it's about where what we call the bands set up the heavy the moderate to heavy. Um, uh, precipitation areas set up, and those are hard to predict. But, yeah, um, this might be it, too. Like, looking at the long-range indicators for for those of you that love snow like I do and want, like, a big storm, this might be it for a couple of weeks. We're going to get pretty warm next week, and it doesn't look like, you know, it could come back. We've had some big ones in March before, but the promised very snowy winter has not materialized. Snowier than last year, that's for sure. (laughs) <laughs> but not as snowy as maybe some of the meteorologists were calling for. So, what else do you have?
4: My prayer answered is what you're saying. Um, so when you were watching Caitlin Clark, I was watching Caitlin Clark, you might have missed that Fairley Dickinson, who was the team that beat Purdue last year in the NCAA tournament, they had to delay the start of their game because they got stuck in an elevator attempting to get to the locker room. Wait, which team did? Fairly Dickinson. Hard to play if the team
3: can't get off the elevator. Um, yeah, I mean, w- what else are you going to do? Team's
4: not here. Where are they? They're stuck They're in the – How many people were in the elevator stuck? It. Was, I mean, I was. it was a lot. I, I can't think of a worse position to be stuck in an elevator with than with a basketball team because there's literally no room. It's yeah. just all a bunch of tall dudes, limited oxygen. I'm not claustrophobic, but that doesn't seem enjoyable to me.
3: No, me neither. Yeah. Um, Hopefully they don't pull a Dwight Schrute and start, you know, peeing into a cup on the (laughs) elevator itself. What else?
4: Um, So I don't really know how real this story is, but the mothership is running with it. And I think it's kind of funny, even if it's not fully true. But apparently Stephen A. Smith had to go to the hospital uh, today because during the um, all-star celebrity game practice, which he is a coach of, Micah Parsons crossed him up so bad that he sprained or uh, <gasps> rolled an ankle. <laughs> really? They made an announcement about it Oh, my God. He got crossed take.
3: up and he rolled the ankle and he went to the hospital for a rolled
4: ankle? I, I guess so. He wasn't on first take, and they announced that that was the reason why. Oh, my God. A rolled ankle. A high ankle sprain, most of you know
3: this, is worse than breaking it. Um... But uh, that's pretty funny. It, it, doesn't Stephen A sort of fancy himself to be like some big-time former college basketball player at some level or not?
4: Um, yeah, at some level, yeah. But uh, So he did actually return to, to first take, but he confirmed that he got an injury, and it's because Micah Parsons crossed him up. He says mm. it's not because Micah Parsons crossed him up, but, you know, Stephen A is going to Stephen A.
3: By the way, Stephen A. Uh, I, I saw this over the over Super Bowl weekend. He had. I'm I'm not a a Stephen A. Uh, I, I'm I'm more of a Stephen A. guy than you would maybe think. I actually really respect the talent. The Performer that he is, because that's really what he is more than anything else. He's a phenomenal performer. He totally gets it. Not to mention the fact that everybody I know that knows him, and I am obviously friends with many people at ESPN, including my best friend Scott Van Pelt, who has, they all have incredible respect for his, his work ethic. He does everything, and he is an absolute worker and hustler and I love that uh, about him, but he he went off on Aaron Schatz, you know our guy with you know DVOA metric guy wow. for being the only guy that didn't vote Lamar Jackson as uh, as a first place uh, MVP guy. I was actually look I think Lamar Jackson and I thought he would win the MVP and I'm okay with him winning the MVP. I think the bigger surprise is that it was near unanimous
4: yeah he was not a his he, Lamar had a great season deserved MVP he was not unanimously the MVP that was that was a bad take by Stephen A uh,
3: that was that was that was a bad take that was one of the worst uh, he's had some bad takes but that one somebody should have said you're you're just off on i mean this was one of those years where it wasn't definitive there was a lot of discussion about a lot of people i think as we got to the end of the year and Baltimore was the best team in the regular season it was more clear at that point that Lamar was going to win it, but I was actually blown away that he won it near, you know, near unanimously. Um, who did Aaron uh, Aaron Schatz actually vote for? I forget who it was. Josh Allen. That would have been the. I think that would have been the second choice, and it would have been. A, I don't think it's. I don't think it's crazy that somebody voted Josh Allen over Lamar Jackson at all. I'm surprised more people didn't vote him or somebody else. I mean, Prescott finished second, which
4: huh.
3: that, 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 yeah. that doesn't seem right to me. <laughs> I, know, I know the numbers that he had. He's not. I didn't think he was as close to being an MVP as perhaps the conversation reflected during the course of the year. All right. Um, well, we hope Stephen A's okay. Uh, ben Standing next.
0: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance.